Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Atlantic Bushcraft Adventures. Tonight we're on episode 184, um, and we're going to talk, it's going to be a short show tonight. We're just going to do uh, a little reminder to everybody, we did the same thing kind of last year, but it is that time of year uh, when hunting season is here, and we're just going to talk a little bit about that for you folks that are out there, what you can do, some tips, tricks, things like that. As you folks probably noticed, Ben's not with me just this second. <laughs> he was having some minor computer issues there. He is home. He's trying to get on. Uh, hopefully, he'll be able to join us in here in a second. But instead of uh, having you guys wait, uh, for those that are waiting for the live show here, I figured I'd just start streaming it, and he can join in as he gets up and running. So, yeah, here in Nova Scotia, anyway, hunting season's already started. Bow season is actually the 12th. I think it just started on Monday. Um, so yeah, hunting season's in full effect here in Nova Scotia. I, and I know some of you out there are going to say, well, it's only bow season, but you know what? It's still hunting season. There's people running around in the woods with the hunt of harvesting some wildlife. So when that's happening, it's just a good idea to try and prepare yourself for when you're going out into the woods. And by all means, you can still go out. You can still have fun. You can still enjoy it. Not saying don't go out, you know, scary people in the woods, nothing like that. It's just, you got to take a little bit more precaution. Uh, first thing is just check the area where you're going to be. Uh, Ben sending something here. Um, what was I saying? Yeah. So just check where you're going. If it's crown land and it's really far away from everywhere else, there's a good chance that somebody may be hunting in that area. Another thing that you may want to watch for this time of years is going to be bear bait sites. At least in our neck of the woods, that's where you're going to catch it. Uh, people do set bear baits. They go out there. They're uh, potentially allowed a couple different methods of harvesting a bear. So there might be bear baits out, out there. And not so much to worry about the hunters in that instance, but to, you know, just be aware that potentially if there's a bear bite site in your area you could be that could be drawing the wildlife in especially if they've gotten used to that bear bait site and uh they've started coming in and out of there and you know all that good stuff just give me one second folks see if i can get us up and running and get ben in here with us hopefully we can uh this will all work uh, but yeah, so especially with the bear bait sites, just be aware, maybe give your area where you're at a little walk around, take a look through things and just kind of keep your eyes open. Like I said, if there is a bear in the area, Hey Ben, welcome to the show, bud. <laughs> Sorry about that. All good, man. Having some minor technical difficulties. So I already let us in them there, Ben. We, I really haven't said a whole lot. Uh, the only thing I was mentioning is hunting season has started here in Nova Scotia. Uh, it's real common for the rest of Canada to start around this area too. And I just kind of moved on to bear baiting and bear sites. Uh, as you know, when you were in this neck of the woods, uh, this is the time of year when a lot of people are setting up their bear bait sites. And you don't necessarily have to worry about the hunter so much as with that bait site being set up, you may have repeat wildlife in that area. So a bear that may have just been wandering through previously may be circling around several times to come back to that food source. Yes, very much so. Um, and I think it's very similar across the country. There may be some exceptions, but I think most places in the country, for especially bear and, and certain other animals, they are baited in. So if you end up in one of those areas, you definitely could end up you know, coming across animals that maybe you would rather avoid. Uh, bears definitely being one of the bigger ones. Plus, hunting season oftentimes 
coincides with rut season. So other animals that could be brought in by like apples, corn, stuff like that, or also would may potentially have a slightly more aggressive, um, generally male member of the, of the uh, species that could be in the area looking for a mate. And you may want to deal with that. Uh, moose come to mind, but I think deer have a similar problem. Yep. Moose, I don't know if any people that bait them, but, you know. Yeah, baiting doesn't happen so much in Nova Scotia, though I do know people like put out deer piles and they'll have deer blinds and stuff like that. But yeah. uh, or apple piles more specifically, that's the common one. But yeah. uh, yes, you do serve a good uh, point there, Ben. It does usually coincide with some sort of rut or the mating season of the animal that is being harvested. Uh, so that could add a lot of aggression to some animals. Like you said, a moose becomes incredibly territorial, not just the males. The females can get a little aggressive too, though they are more so around the birthing season. Once the little ones are out, they yes. the, the females tend to get real ranged up then. But they are still a little goofy this time of year too, or actually a little bit more towards next month. I think moose season is more in October. Same as general deer season with rifle would be in October as well, at least here in Nova Scotia. And... Um, that brings more interesting things to the table, too, because right now, bow season's open. First two weeks yeah. here is just longbow, so you don't have the crossbow hunters or the muzzleloaders out, but then in two weeks, you do have those crossbow people and the muzzleloaders out there, and honestly, Ben, you and I, both hunters, we know the muzzleloaders nowadays, honestly, they got some distance and stuff on them. Like, they are more or less a rifle, you know what I mean? They just load through the boar instead of through a cartridge yeah. to the point where some of the ones i have seen and and they still to me have a cartridge like everything is a, is a single unit slid in it's not like the old days where somebody had a, a horn they poured the powder in they packed that in they packed their wad in they it it's a single unit and the guys i know who use them say they can probably load them almost as quick as they could a single shot right and myself i don't own a muzzle loader it's something i've debated getting into but much the same the last ones i had seen a friend of mine he's really big into muzzle loading because he likes the traditional hunting method and i have the quotations simply because for that reason it's just sliding a cartridge down you tap it a couple times pull the trigger and away you go literally like you said it's just single loading a gun but through the bore more so than the uh through like a receiver Gone are the days where like a flintlock or, or you know, you, it's it's a it's it's definitely much more more modern than it has been. And I mean, you know, I'm not complaining. It is what it is. Right. Like just just be aware that they are capable. I mean, I think they're generally 50 cal that they fire a decent sized ball and you can get some decent range with those crossbows. Similar thing. Uh, they can get back quite the punch. They can go quite the distance. So, you know, be aware of that it's not without its risk. It's, it's not necessarily dangerous, but obviously somebody who wasn't paying attention, somebody just barrels through the woods, you know, they're not on set trails. A hunter could easily say, oh, that sounds like an animal and, and be all cocked and ready and then you pop out and can make that mistake. So... I mean, we've talked about it before. This is not a new topic. But no. Wearing that bright clothing, announcing when you're coming into an area becomes such so much more important when you're in that situation, right? 
No, I totally agree with you. And Red Sand Adventures joins us again here tonight. Uh, wondering what the subject is. Didn't have a chance to read it there. So tonight, if anybody else missed it, we are just talking. It's a quick episode, kind of a recap episode. We've done this in the past. It's just hunting safety and awareness and some tips and stuff like that. It is coming into hunting season. Um, and it's honestly, my opinion, it's always good to have that little reminder, especially like me. It crept up on me. Didn't even realize hunting season was coming in. I was out farting around the woods and noticed some people with bows. You know what I mean? I'm like, oh, that's kind of odd, you know, having a bow in the woods. And all of a sudden I'm like, oh crap. Yeah. Bow season actually started Monday. Yeah. So no, I mean, it's halfway through September. I know this, this has been a crazy year for, for a lot of people, me, me especially, but a lot of people. And time seems to have gotten away from me this year. And, yeah, it, it did kind of creep up. I knew it was coming. Uh, I haven't got all my paperwork to figure out hunting out here yet. That's one of my things I want to do. I do enjoy hunting. So anyone who thinks anything we're saying is completely negative and why, why are you dissing hunting, this is not, in fact, the tru truth. We both enjoy hunting and do partake in it. But... We also appreciate that not everyone out there, and I don't know that everyone really looks at both sides here, and I think we do, is that not everyone out there is there to hunt. A lot of people do enjoy it, and a lot of people actually avoid this time because they do feel a little uncomfortable with people running around with guns and bows and crossbows and things like that, and they're just worried that something will happen. And I think, you know, I mean... It's semi-justified from the outside, simply because you do have more firearms in the woods than any other time of year. However, yeah. all things being good and equal, most of those hunters, they're probably going to be long-time hunters. They've done it a few times. Uh, they've gone through the proper courses, hopefully have the proper licenses and things like that. They pro uh, practice proper uh, firearm safety and things like that. So it's like Ben said, there is an increased risk, but... By no stretch of the imagination is it, you know, quote unquote, severely dangerous. You know what I mean? Uh, I still go out in the woods. You and I have gone out in the woods during hunting season several times, right into October during the general deer season and never had a problem. I've, I've been doing it all my life. Hunting's a great reason to get out there in the woods and set up a little camp and stuff like that. I personally love doing it with small game. Uh, pheasants, grouse, things like that. Rabbit season gets a little later in the year. If I do cold weather camping, then I'd, I'd go into that as well. But it's a great reason to get out there and see some areas you may not otherwise visit during your summer, simply because it may not be as far off the road. You wouldn't necessarily set up a camp there. You're looking to go a little further. I know most of mine, I'm usually a lot closer to roads and stuff like that than I would be if I was going camping. You know what I mean? Yeah. So. So, yeah, I mean, I think as we get later in the season and, and, and the big game really kind of weeds down and people are doing a bit of the small game, it, it seems to be less of a, a concern with most people. It's that, that initial hunting fever, I think, that scares a lot of people because the first few days of hunting season is the, is the time, like, if you're in the woods, you're not, not somebody once joked to me, it's like going into a gun range, it's like, bang over here you hear it all over the place right because there are people out sighting in their rifles there's people out that haven't had their gun out in years so that now they're getting out and they're trying things so you're hearing shots that aren't necessarily hunting shots and then you're hearing actual hunters right the animals aren't as skittish give it a few weeks and then the animals seem to be getting a bit more skittish they hide deeper in the woods hunting slows down you get fewer and fewer shots throughout the season so the first 
first few weeks are usually pretty hectic, and then I find it, it does taper down somewhat. And for us here, like on the East Coast, the busy time isn't until the end of October, which, to be fair, a lot of fair weather campers are already starting to peter out on their own as well. It's kind of like, you know, the, the changing of the... I don't want to say the changing of the guard, but the handing of the torch. You know what I mean? The campers are starting to kind of come out. The hunters are starting to go in. Uh, the first yeah. month here is, once again, it's like muzzle loaders, archery, and stuff like that, which is generally a lot less intrusive. There's fewer people that do it, uh, and there's more thought, and it's kind of more of a methodical practice. So, And as Steve said here in the comments... Once again, don't get discouraged. This is the best time of year to get out there and do some camping. It's nice and cool during the day, so you can get out and do some playing. You're not sweating a whole ton. Uh, it's cooler at night, so you can snuggle into your sleeping bag. And generally, like me, I have a better sleep when it's a little cooler outside. And you're getting all those amazing colors from the leaves changing. You know what I mean? Fall has its own unique kind of, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Hue to it? Uh, is that the right word? It... it... You know what I mean? Fall colors. You get the browns and stuff like that as things are dying, quote-unquote. But then you get all the reds and yellows and real vibrant leaf colors. It's a real nice time to be in the woods. Oh, yeah. It's a beautiful time. It's my favorite time. Fall is by far my favorite time. Um, sorry. Distracted there or something. Um, like you said, the leaves, the cooler. The, I've just noticed it here now. Like... All summer, like you wake up, it's still hot and muggy when you go outside. This is the time of year when you wake up in the morning and the air is so cool and so crisp. And it's just, I don't know, it, 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 it's an awesome feeling to me. Um, so those those early mornings, you get that funny mist off the water. Uh, it's a great time to be out there. And I, I've always enjoyed that in my hunting trips because that's when you get out and you see that, that cool stuff, right? Uh, and that's why I, you know, we joked before we would go hunting with a camera. And we have. I've, I have not lied on this channel before when I said I've gone in the woods and forgot the arrows in the truck. And still had a great time. Just got out. It's a beautiful time of year to get out there. Um, but yeah, like we said, don't be scared to get out there and have some fun. There's just a couple things you can do. And Ben started in with it there. Some orange clothing goes a long way. It's not a bad idea to have orange clothing on you. Anytime you're going into the woods, because if anything was to happen, it's a nice bright color that stands out. That's why it's so popular with hunting. Um, yeah. Hunter's orange or neon orange, whatever you want to call it. Like my sleeping bags generally are going to be neon orange. If I can get a tarp, uh, preferably I'm going to grab something orange. That way if something does go south, I can be easily seen from the air. Because orange doesn't generally occur like that fluorescent orange doesn't naturally occur in nature. Uh, and from a helicopter, I'm sure you've seen it yourself doing search and rescue. It sticks out like a sore thumb, literally. It's just, it brightly pops, especially in the summer months against all that green. You can notice a tiny amount of it from real far away. Yeah. Um, I've, there's a couple of great sleeping bags I've seen over the years that were bright orange. People said, like, you don't forget your orange gear. Like, when you go in and you're packing up all your gear, you never forget an orange piece of gear. Right? You see it, you pick it up, you leave. But I've seen guys leave camel gear. I've seen guys leave metal gear. They just, you know, it still, believe it or not, like a shiny piece of metal can still blend in with the environment. But something so neon orange or like safety orange, it, it, 
it glows even in slight dark like it still seems to retain light longer like it reflects better light better than most other things so it's it's a great color for that time of year um and it doesn't take much like a hat just hanging a hat near your site we've talked about this before once you set up your site and you're you're sort of in for the night hang your hat hang a scarf or a blanket or something that's br bright or even some of the the marking tape hang it around the corners of your property i think he's going to go show us one of us. yeah there's a couple <laughs> things here yeah so put them at the corners of your property put them at any entrances like natural entrances that sort of allow you to get into your your um your camp and then people as they approach it'll sort of see it a lot of hunters do a similar thing with their stands they'll mark their stands with some bright orange tape or or lines so that when people come by they kind of know someone is there do the same thing with your campsite uh, i highly recommend it yeah and like ben said this hat you can see the light reflecting off it quite harshly you know what i mean so that's it just catches so much more light and simply just something like that when you're going through the woods that's usually enough for people to for you to stick out and if it gets colder i mean they make it in the stocking cap variant you know what i mean still sticks out <laughs> and uh you can kind of see the coat uh, nope that's uh, back there as well and this is all just my fall gear like this isn't my hunting attire this here is just stuff i wear when i go into the woods in the fall because one it's warm it serves the purpose that it needs and it sticks out yeah no it's great stuff uh, it, you know so what else color for sure definitely helps like i said make yourself heard so when you're walking in the woods when you're hunting you know you don't have to be blaring a loud thing and, and driving everyone nuts but like if you see someone shout a hi or, or wave if, if you see a hunter wave try to catch their eye just so that they know you're there and then walk away i mean they're, yep. they're out there doing their thing they don't necessarily want to have a conversation with you they wave you over, and that's cool. You can go have a chat with them. But just generally, all you want to do is, is make sure they have, have your attention, give them a nod, a wave, and then continue on your way. And they'll be aware of you, and they'll keep they'll track you. Like As a hunter, I always track and make sure that I know where everyone else is around me, if, if there's someone else. And I'll usually wait till they're well out of my sight and range before I'll even continue hunting, right? I'll just keep an eye. If an animal comes out, I'll keep an eye on it until I know it's safe and in a safe direction. And that's the um, thing that most hunters will at least acknowledge the direction you headed into. Uh, and then they know not to shoot in that direction because most hunters, um, they're going to have an area set up. That's going to be their ideal zone where they preferably have the animal come out. You know what I mean? But that doesn't necessarily mean if something comes out to the left or right, they're not going to swing left or right and, you know, potentially try and uh, take a shot. However, if you came in and you walked off to the left, they may now go, okay, you know what? One, you're probably spooking most wildlife coming from the left and it's going to bugger off anyway. But if something does come from like the right and crosses into the left, chances are they'll just let it walk. That way they're, you know, they're like, ah, you know, somebody is down in that area. I'm just not going to take the chance. And honestly, the majority of hunters are ethical and have all that stuff in mind. You know what I mean? They want to make sure that it's a good, clean harvest. For one, they don't want anything to go wrong that way. And two, generally, they're hyper aware of what's going on around them, including people, roadways, all that stuff. Yeah. No, it's 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 fairly... It's it's a rare thing to find the, the trigger-happy, crazy guy. I mean, it, 
it can happen. It does happen. It's not rare. It's not common. It's pretty rare. Um, the other thing, if you're a hunter, and just in case you're not aware of these things, and I know they're taught, but maybe you forgot them, always when you set up a site where you're planning on hunting to, always set up your 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 hunting line. So where are you going to shoot? You're going to look down and you're going to choose that. Make sure you know what's on the other side. If you're shooting towards, say, a hill or something or over near a crest, make sure you know what's on the other side of that horizon. Because if it happens to be something you don't want to potentially hit, you got to be awful careful where you're shooting. So it's it's best if you're shooting into a, an, something that's going to stop the round. So you're shooting into a field or into a hill, like you're shooting into so it's not going to go over. If you happen to be shooting at something that's on a horizon, realize that that bullet, if it misses it or even goes through it, it's going to continue on and go to the other side of that horizon. And that even holds true for bows, especially crossbows, because, I mean, uh, I've harvested wildlife where the arrow has gone clean through. So, I mean, yeah. there's still a chance of that as well. So this isn't just for our rifle hunting brethren out there and sisters. It's anybody that's hunting in the woods. Realize that it doesn't stop right where your game is. There has to be something behind that. Uh, that's generally what they teach you. For anybody that's not an avid hunter, one of the things they teach you in hunter safety is see what's behind the target and make sure it's able to stop whatever you happen to use as your projectile. And that doesn't mean, you know, like bushes. Bushes generally aren't going to stop something. It means a solid backstop. No. In fact, hitting a bush just means you have absolutely no control of where that bullet's going after that because it only takes one branch hitting it quite a little bit. It won't actually stop. It'll probably not even slow it down. But what it could do is veer it off. So now it's not no longer traveling say you shot in a northerly direction it may actually be slight traveling slightly east slightly west maybe slightly more up and it may gain some some range in some ways um because it can deflect that off a bit and if it's going through a lot of brush it can keep getting deflected a few times before it gets slowed down enough to stop it um so you want to avoid those situations like you said you want to hit you want that round going into dirt or or rock you end up going into something pretty solid. It's going to absorb that round and stop it. So, um, what else? Uh, I was just about to say, we did talk about location uh, a little bit just before you came on. As I, I said, check your location. Uh, if it looks pleasant to a hunter, maybe avoid it. If you're, you know, that is your, if you are nervous in any way, shape, or form, that's something else you can do. Uh, or just be more aware. Like, hunters are going to go towards where their game is. So whatever season it is, uh, like this, when small season starts, uh, small game season, avoid apple trees and stuff like that because there's going to be a lot of people in there looking for grouse and stuff like that. So you don't have to be a hunter, but it's good to be educated in some hunting methodology, if that makes any kind of sense. Uh, kind of know the games that, or sorry, the, the animals the game that is hunted in your area and a little bit about their habitat. And you can generally avoid almost anywhere hunters are going to be. You know what I mean? You're still going to stumble across the odd one. Don't get me wrong, but you're not going to hit the vast majority of them. And that's a good point. In fact, something to really keep in mind is there is a lot of area that a hunter is not allowed to hunt in. And those areas are easy to find. And so look up the wilderness, you know, protected wilderness areas that are restricted to hunting. So no hunting is allowed. Uh, national parks and on most provincial parks, I think, are completely exempt from the ability to hunt. So those are still places that are self safe to go. Do your hikes, do your walks. They're usually beautiful. They usually have trails. And honestly, hunters aren't in there, so it's not going to be a problem. 
sticking to places that are closer to community. So small community parks and stuff for like hiking and stuff. You're not allowed to hunt within like 400 meters of a, of a dwelling, I think it is. Oh, I'd have to look up the stipulations now. I'm a little, I think, yeah. <sighs> Depending on the type of dwelling, if it's a business or a school, it's significantly more than that. If it's rifle, it's significantly more. Bow is a different one. That's another thing as a hunter. It's definitely worth going over the regulations really quickly. Um, like, at least skimming through them once you get your licenses renewed for the year. I mean, I do it every year. That's why I'm a little off, because I haven't read them since last year. Uh, as Ben said, I know there is some distances in there, but I can't remember exactly what it is. It's 242 is one of them, but that might be for trapping animals, because I'm also a fur harvester. I mean, there's different numbers that pop into mind, but I can't remember which one goes with which exclusively. So the first thing I'm going to do is read those regulations. So a lot of trails will be covered within that, that range. Um, I believe, and I've been told this, and it may vary from location to location, recreational properties don't necessarily count towards that. So if you have a cabin or cottage, it's not a permanent dwelling. I've heard that they can legally actually hunt from your, your, the edge of your property within close range of your house. But if you're there with your family, generally they wouldn't do that. So just be kind of aware of that. Um, that's always a tricky one for hunters, though, because they have no idea whether that's your year-round home or it's your cottage. Um, the cabin I had that we've talked about, in fact, there were neighbors on either side that lived there year-round, right? So we were kind of captured with that. So although I had access to a lake, there's only a small portion of that lake that I think you could legally hunt. So if you were into mm -hmm. ducks and geese and stuff, being a small lake with cabins and homes on most sides, it only had a small area that I think you could legally even try to hunt it. Um, and I don't know if I ever seen anyone hunt it. So and you bring just... up a good point there. Same as uh, red sand adventures, duck and geese. That's another type of wildlife. Uh, it's going to be found around waterways. You know what I mean? So not only if you're a little nervous, avoid the waterways, if it's a duck and goose area early in the morning, you could get quite the alarm. You know what I mean? So yeah. you want to wake up at the crack of dawn Snuggling somewhere near where there's goose hunting, because guaranteed as they fly through, the second that somebody's allowed to fire a shot, it's probably going to ring out and it's going to wake you up and it's going to be quite startling. Yeah, and it's, again, it's a good reason to mark, like if you are like canoeing, like if you're doing portages and stuff, it's a good thing when you set, set down for the night. Definitely mark either side of, your, of the piece of, of shoreline you're on so that if a hunter comes out, and they're say across the way from you, they may not know you're there. And then just make that make it visible that you're there. Be be clear that you're there. Um, and it may mean that you know they may not be overly happy with it. But if they come in and they see somebody's just across the water, they'll probably just pack up, move further down, move away. Right? They um, may grumble a little bit, but it's first come first serve. You know what I mean? Especially on crown land, you have just as much right to be there as they do. Yeah. Um, Listen, I, I think we can all respect the woods and, and share it, um, but, you know, we should do do uh, our bit, too. And it's it's the same theory I've had for cyclists. Um, there's, I legally have the right, and I can't actually stop a car, right? Like, just because you have the right to be there, don't think that's going to protect you if something does go wrong. It's one thing so, to be right, it's another to be dead right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so 
comparison I do is you're, you're a cyclist, you're on the side of the highway, you have legal right to be there, you're paddling along, and then somebody who doesn't have the right plows you over. The fact that you had the right isn't going to protect you from the, the medical emergency. It may mean he gets charged, anything can happen. Same thing, you know, you may have the legal right to camp there and walk there. That doesn't mean you couldn't get hit. So taking that extra precaution, taking care of yourself just makes sense, right? Um, that extra bit of security is worth it. Um, so, I, you know, and that's the same reason I think both of us wear orange, you know? Do we think it's liable that we're going to get shot at and think we're going to get injured? No. Does it hurt us to wear that extra bit of protection, that little bit of color? Not in the least, right? And it, you know, some of the gear is quite nice. Like, you can get some pretty good quality bright orange gear. Oh, no, Sometimes. for sure. Like, my actual hunting gear, uh, my blaze orange stuff, nice thick coat, nice thermal yeah. pants. I mean, it's high quality stuff, but I keep it exclusively for when I'm hunting later in the year. Uh <laughs> Some of the tents I've bought in the past, or at least looked at buying, the bright co colors were actually a few dollars cheaper because a lot of people don't want them. A lot of people want the camo. A lot of people want the the, the coyote brown and the you know the the hidden colors, which has its place. I'm not knocking that in the slightest. I generally like the brighter colors. I like to stand out for. Unless stealth camping or something like that comes into it. We've talked about this in the past. But, I mean, generally, I like to stick out. That way people walking by know I'm there. They won't, you know, kind of like uh, they won't creep in beside you and try to share the campsite if they know you're there. Because that has happened. I've set up a tent. Uh, just small tent. It was very, I don't want to say hidden, but not super visible. Yeah. And you wander off to do something to come back and you start hearing these little low voices. And you're like... Am I losing my mind only to find out somebody set up camp like 50 yards down from you? Because they just didn't know you were there. You didn't know they were there. And all of a sudden you find each other, which sometimes, you know, it's a fun adventure. Other times you don't want that nonsense. So I generally like to travel with bright colored stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. Some of the stuff that I wanted to get bright color, I couldn't. And that was an unfortunate thing, but color seems to work you know it's it's good stuff there's no nothing wrong with it um so what we covered i want to say we covered our, our clothing we covered location we've covered the fact that there are legal places where people can't hunt this there's safe places for you to go uh we've covered a bit of hunter safety in general uh something i wanted to talk about and i don't think we've hit yet i was just checking my notes here um, some general practice, safety practices, I, I know we covered one about where the round goes. I'm a big proponent of not necessarily carrying a loaded weapon. I agree. And there's a time and a place for the, the weapon to be loaded. So if you're in your stand and you're waiting for something to come, I fully understand. If you're sitting in a, in a blind hunting geese and you're in the blind, yes, you, you know, have it loaded, have it ready to go. Uh, but just the action of you loading it could be enough to sp spook the animal. You won't necessarily have the time for it. If I'm uh, walk hunting or, or I don't know if there's a stock, stock hunting, hunting. So I'm, I don't carry the round in the chamber. Uh, so, in, for example, if I had a bolt action or a winch, Winchester, like I might have one in the magazine, but not one chambered. So it doesn't take me long to chamber one if I need it to. 
Um, but I don't carry one in the chamber, and I highly recommend people consider that. Um, I mean, that's just good practice for accidental discharge. If you, um, you're seeing a Winchester lever action there, some of the older yeah. ones, they had a habit, if they got bumped hard enough, the hammer would make contact with the firing pin, and you could accidentally, you know, shoot a round out. Yeah. And, it, and if you take the hunter safety course, there's always the story, and I've met people who, who've been part of these stories, where they tell the story of, you know, a couple of guys went out hunting, one was walking in front of the other, the guy behind tripped, and ended up shooting his father, his son, his niece, his nephew, something, right? Just because of the way they fell and set the gun off. You know, not care, not walking around with a loader ready to shoot gun. Um, just, you know, it doesn't make sense to have it loaded until you're ready to shoot. When you're done hunting for the day, unload your gun and walk back to your car. When you get to your car, make sure there's no ammo in your car. Everything's put away properly. It's easy enough to forget. Always treat every gun, regardless of whether you know it's loaded, as if it's loaded. Check it, check it, check it. Because the number of people over the years have been shot by a gun that the person would have swore up and down it was, wasn't was loaded is exponentially higher than it should be. Right? Yeah. No, and uh, that's that's a sad fact, but it is true. Yeah. And that goes with all your gear. Like, take the time to, to, to sort of protect yourself. If you're carrying an axe, make sure there's a sheath or a, or a face on it, something protecting that blade, right? If you're carrying a knife, you wouldn't go around without it in a sheath or without it folded or whatever. Like you, you'd make sure that blade's not out so you could trip or fall on it. You know, a rifle, a shotgun is no different. A bow, I've never seen anyone walking around with a loaded bow, uh, like, you know, cocked and ready to go all the time. Like even a crossbow potentially could. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but like a, you know, even a compound bow, yeah, the strain's off, but you don't, nobody does that. So, that's not really a big concern. Bow hunters in general don't shoot for a lot of range. They're generally shooting for probably, what, 50 feet or less? Yeah, I was going to say 20 to 30 yards is a good shot for a bow, even for a crossbow. I know they can reach out further than that, but, I mean, yeah. I've heard people, oh, yeah, you hit something at 60 yards. I know a couple people that could do it, but I mean, it's so risky as an ethical hunter. There's too much that can happen over that time. A leaf can change the trajectory off your arrows. It flies a slight breeze. You didn't account for. There's just a lot going into it. And it's said, uh, believe it or not. And I truly mean that you can either believe it or you cannot, Cause it is somewhat debatable. Anything over yeah. 24 yards and deer specifically, could potentially jump the string, meaning the sound is hitting them sooner than the arrow would, and they have enough time because of their reflexes that they're going to try and squat to run, and that could change where you placed that shot. So now yep. what would have been a nice, clean, ethical dispatch of an animal may have just been a wounding blow, you know what I mean? So I don't like shooting for long distance. I pretend I like to make sure I get that nice, clean, ethical harvest. Yeah, so they're dealing with much shorter distances with those. So, and they're usually very sure of the shot. More so than somebody with a rifle, especially like a scoped rifle. Sometimes when they get it where they want it, they pull the trigger. That It can happen a bit quicker. It's 
and, and the range is a bit more. So those risks are slightly higher. Ethical hunters, again, know their shot. They, they size it all up. They take their time. Um, if you have to do a really quick snapshot without taking your time to do it, you probably shouldn't have taken that shot. Um, you, you, you didn't have a good chance to get that animal. Um, yeah, we didn't talk about snares, and I do think we should bring up snares. So, and not for the people. You could get your foot caught in it. I'm not too concerned with that. Um, a lot of people like to go out with their dogs, especially smaller dogs. And if you have somebody with rabbit snares and stuff set up, it doesn't take much for one of them to go running through the woods, and rabbit paths are pretty good places to run. And next thing you know, your dog's caught up in a snare. And I personally have seen this happen. If that happened to a young dog I had when I was a kid, uh, my dog was fine, but we had to rescue her from a snare. She ran into it. We heard the yelp, and we get there. She's panicking and trying to pull, and we had to, you know, cut the snare and get her free. Um, be aware of that. If you're walking this time of year, like as, as, as snare season opens up, be aware. I highly recommend if you're in those kind of woods where people would be potentially doing that, keep them on a leash. Uh, keep them close, especially if they're an animal that likes to run away and come back and run away. And people say, oh, he doesn't go far. Well, he doesn't have to go far. He has to go 20, 30 feet away from you. And next thing you know, he's in a snare and you can't find him. And you can hear him panicking and it's a bad feeling. So uh, take care of yourself. Don't, don't put yourself in that position, right? And going along with snares, you can get body gripping devices, especially if you are traveling along like an actual trapping trail. Uh, and same kind of thing, you know, they, they do make dog proof, cat proof, things like that, but you never know, you know what I mean? The best laid plans go to waste sometimes. So, and on that note, if you do stumble across a trap line, your best option is just to leave it alone. Most traps are going to have a name on them and uh, their harvesting ID and stuff like that. So if it was illegally placed, we can figure out who it was. But if it's not, just kind of acknowledge it and move on. You know what I mean? They're out there doing their thing. There's no sense trying interfere with their uh, outings into the woods. Same as they probably didn't want to interfere with yours. It was just chance of circumstance. Yeah. Yeah. No, um... And you can find those. I actually found one in the river a little while ago. Um, did a day trip out and we seen something floating. We went closer and it was like a, a buoy. And uh, that's weird. It looked like a, a ball. When we tried to move it, we realized, no, it's, it's just a buoy. There was no markings or anything on it. And there was a chain going to something in the mud. So I'm pretty sure it was like a beaver trap or a muskrat style trap. But, um, be really careful if you see something like that in the water. Like, don't go put your feet down near it um, because you may step in it and it could grab your ankle and cause some uh, discomfort, if not injury. And uh, you could be stuck there for a while until you figure out how to get free of it. Um, so, just because the question came up and we're already talking about it, Steve asked, question, are bear traps a thing in Atlantic Canada something to watch out for? So... I'm going to give a real quick and dirty overview of traps in general. And by all means, this is not a be-all to end-all. But there is a fair amount of misconception when it comes to traps. Uh, so everybody knows, you know, the classic bear trap you see in movies that got teeth on it and stuff like that. And they're massive. 
not so common are in our area not so common in canada um honestly ones with teeth is especially in canada they've been banned for ages uh what a trap is designed to do it's not necessarily designed to catch and dispatch the animal most traps are designed to hold or ensnare the animal until the hunter comes along and decides what's to do with that animal because once again it's that kind of fallback safety in case that trap caught the wrong animal because uh, i mean it, or for instance like bobcat or lynx and stuff like that you're only allowed so many fishers otter uh and if you caught more than your limit you have to release that animal back out you can't harvest anymore and there is such things as accidental harvest and blah 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 blah. but that's a whole other thing but generally you're going to cut get into like three types of uh traps you'll get snares which we talked about which is generally a wire or a string or something like that and it's meant generally to grab the leg of the animal. And now in the case of a rabbit snare, a lot of times it does get the head of the animal and it will dispatch the animal. But generally you're going to get some sort of snare that's going to like grab an animal and hold on to it. Classic one's going to be like a coyote snare. That's going to be a big one. Um, they'll snare around the foot and then the, the fur harvester will come along and decide if it's to dispatch the animal or let it go, whatever the case may be. Then you're going to get a bull... Uh, a restraining device and that's going to be like the classic bear trap that everybody sees but it's generally a lot smaller same kind of thing that's going to come around and clamp and generally it's meant to hold the animal it doesn't necessarily it shouldn't close with enough force to break bones uh because everybody's worried if they step on one of these you know is it going to break my ankle if it's a legal trap it should not most legal traps you should be able to put your hand in it may not feel great but it shouldn't really hurt you. Um, and if it does, chances are it's not a legal trap because it's they're not designed to maim in that manner. They're designed to hold. And the last kind of trap you're going to get is like a body gripping device. And that's what Ben was talking about in a beaver pond. And what those are designed to do is they'll generally grab the animal around the chest or area like that. And they squeeze enough that the animal will eventually, you know... So it's unfortunate, but they suffocate is what it is. Generally a beaver or something, they'll go underwater and it'll hold them there. And then they, they, uh, they asphyxiate, unfortunately, but that's, that's generally how they're supposed to work. Uh, you're not, you shouldn't be getting into any kind of trapping device. That's going to grab you hard enough to break your ankle. If you come across something like that, it's already highly illegal. Uh, and chances are you got some bigger problems to worry about, but yeah, that real quickly on traps. That being said, depending on your health, your conditions, you may be able to break an ankle much easier than others. So yeah. it's always something to be aware of. Um, and situation. I mean, you can easily hurt or twist or injure a limb without going into a trap. So those are things to keep into consideration. But yeah, uh, thanks for that. It was good. A lot of good information. Uh, so traps. Some gun safety. Um, we always recommend first aid kits, regardless of why you're going in the woods. Something could go wrong. Take a good first aid kit. Um, but other than that, like I think we've covered the worst things we've mentioned. It is some of the best time of year to get out there. The weather is great. The trees are good. The insects are almost gone. Um, what else are some good things? Evening comes a little bit earlier. You got a little bit longer in the evening. Um, 
lately it seems to me anyways this seems to be a slightly wetter time of year so fire bans are oftentimes being relaxed not here right now but <laughs> in other places i think that's the case <laughs> um so once the rain starts to come and you know you, you can have those nice evening fires like you can you know as it gets dark you know around seven seven thirty type time it's a really good time to get out and really enjoy that uh you get some good nights good night's sleep um honestly that's kind of the the quick and dirty off it i mean we we still went 45 minutes which was longer than i thought it was going to be once again we did go into this a little bit more in depth in past years no sense really beating a dead horse over it because you can always go back and listen to the old podcast but it is just good to kind of give a refresher especially around this time of year uh for those that don't hunt just so it kind of popped into your mind. And it might be worth just kind of glancing at your local laws and regulations to see when things start. Uh, see what game is going to be harvested that time of year. Maybe a little bit about the game and what precautions you can take, such as, you know, the blaze orange and things like that. That's just going to make your life a little bit easier out there. Yeah. Yeah, I guess that's it. Yeah. Um, just like I said, just kind of a quick episode tonight. It's still 45 minutes, but still good information. <laughs> okay. Well, get out there, have fun, enjoy it. Let us know how it goes. Um, looking forward to seeing you guys next week. All right, everybody. Have yourselves a good night, and we'll see you next week.